0: nice to be able to worship together thanks to our worship team i think they all left but thanks to them anyway uh even if you don't know the name horatio spafford you know his work Horatio Spafford is the author of the well-known hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Of course, we sang a variation of that just a moment ago, and uh, I'm not going to sing it for you, but uh, I just want to remind us of some of the lyrics of the original hymn. He says, When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. It's a beautiful song and really uh, has encouraged generations of Christians. It's a bit of a surprising tune, though, if you know the history of it. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in the city of Chicago, and he lost everything in the great fire of 1871. Uh, That doesn't seem like the kind of person who'd be able to say, It is well with my soul, right? Well, just two years after the fire, he sent his wife, Anna, and their four daughters on a boat across the ocean to England, and while they were in transit, they struck another boat, and they began to sink. And so uh, Anna gathered their daughters together, and they prayed, and the boat sank, and all four of the girls died. Uh, Anna was rescued, and she sent a cable message back to Horatio with only two words, Saved Alone. So Horatio Spafford made the long journey to England to go and retrieve his wife, and as he was on the boat across the ocean, that's when he wrote the lyrics to the song, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. It's a tragic story. And yet, Spafford turned it into a beautiful reflection on Christ. In the hymn, you can hear a man searching for the peace of God. He says in another verse, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. A beautiful hymn made all the more beautiful when you know the story behind it. And clearly, Spafford found some measure of peace in God and in Christ. And what worked for him is the same thing that worked for Paul. In the book of Philippians, Paul's writing from a cold, dark prison cell facing torture, facing death, and yet he seems to overflow with joy and with peace. He's found some peace in the midst of his very difficult circumstances, and that peace that can only come from God. And this morning I want us to be able to find that same peace, the peace that Horatio Spafford found and the peace that Paul found, we can find it as well. We've called this series Choose Joy, and throughout the series we found joy in some unexpected places. we found joy in partnership, partnering with people, even people who are different from us. We've learned that joy is a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit. We found joy then in surrendering, surrendering ourselves to become more and more like Christ. And we found joy in serving the Lord, whether as a servant or as a leader. And we found joy that comes from putting our confidence in the right place, not in our own abilities, but in the completed work of Christ. And and throughout the series, I've tried to communicate that joy is is not something that we manufacture. It's a gift. Uh, uh, We can choose to embrace it, uh, but ultimately it comes... From God, And joy that's not sourced in God is not joy that will last. It's not true joy. It won't hold up when difficult circumstances come. And, and that's part of the lesson Horatio Spafford learned through his own trials and certainly the lesson that Paul learned through his own ordeal. And that's the lesson that we can learn today as well. So as we look towards the end of this book of Philippians, I'd love for you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. And, and Paul does something very common at the end of a lot of his letters. In the, in the middle of the letters, he's got these big, long, complex sentences. And at the end of his letter, he usually has uh, short, simple statements. Uh, in the body of the letter, he's got deep theological truth. And at the end of the letter, he focuses on putting those things into practice, the, how to live out that theology in real life. And that's exactly what he does here in Philippians 4. Usually, you know, a very simple section on how to live or how to act. And how to really put into practice the things that he's talked about throughout the letter. And that's exactly what he does at the beginning of Philippians 4. He gives us a very practical way to live out the joy that he's talked about throughout the letter. And what he tells us, essentially, is choose joy to avoid anxiety. He says choosing joy, ultimately, that's the path to peace. And let's look at Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 4. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Anxiety, And Paul starts off with a short statement, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you missed it, he says it again, rejoice. And the emphasis here again is on rejoicing in the Lord. That's an important distinction. That's where real joy can be found. And that's why the, the lyrics to it is well with my soul are all about the Lord and not about Horatio Spafford. He found a sense of, of peace, a sense of joy in the Lord and that transcends the anxiety that he certainly felt about his own circumstances. And, uh, and it seems that in this passage, the next few statements, they don't necessarily connect to that joy. At first read, it seems like just a, a laundry list of things to do or things to think about. Uh, rejoice, be gentle, don't worry. There doesn't seem to be a real connection. But in fact, the opposite is true. They're all connected to this big idea of joy, as we said Joy is a gift, a gift from God's Spirit, and with that joy, we're able to fulfill these other commands. Only if we choose joy are we able to be gentle. Only in God's joy are we able to avoid anxiety. And so as we look at this paragraph, I want us to see how important joy is for us to live out these other ideas. And so so right after he introduces the idea of joy, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And this word gentleness, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, gentle like, like meekness or quietness. It's not the way we think of gentleness as sort of a less than desirable quality. The, the word in Greek is, is kind of unusual, but it really means um, not insisting on every right letter of the law. It means yielding or kind or tolerant. And what Paul's talking about here really gets the idea of a refusal to retaliate when you've been attacked or uh, the idea of contentment. Even in the face of injustice, that's the idea. Now, I don't mean that when we see injustice happening, we don't do anything about it. And I don't mean that uh, we live like a doormat, just letting people walk all over us and not saying anything about it. No, I think it's, it's right for us to have and right to express opinions about important issues. But, but the idea is just that we're trusting God to take care of things. If there is injustice, He sees it and He can do something about it. We don't have to worry about it. We can have peace. We can yield. We can show kindness. We don't need to argue every point to death, or we don't need to win every argument. We can be tolerant. When we're attacked, we can respond with gentleness as a sign that God is going to advocate for us. That's the idea here. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And another key idea is this last part, being evident to all. Because genuine joy in the Lord, it's not inwardly focused. We don't just look at what's happening to us and and turn in and focus in on ourselves. No, that's not the path to joy that avoids anxiety. We don't hole up with just a few close friends and and show gentleness to them and and turn an eye of indifference to the rest of the world. No, letting your gentleness be evident to all is exactly the way we should live in the world. I mean, your, your co-workers, hopefully they know you're a Jesus follower, right? But that comes with some baggage. That means that uh, you're automatically lumped in their minds with every other Christian or so-called Christian that they've ever encountered. So all those things that uh, examples of people who are greedy or, or judgmental or legalistic or bigoted or overly aggressive, all those things are automatically associated with you, whether you like it or not, right? Right? Uh, Tolerance and kindness, they're not exactly the two words that immediately jump to mind when the average person thinks about a Christian. Whether we like it or not, that's the reality. But we're not that way, right? We model ourselves on the life of Jesus. We want people to see real joy that comes from serving a God of grace and a God of love for other people. So let your gentleness be evident to all. Let that be the story that people start associating with Christianity. A person who doesn't worry when injustice comes because you trust God. A person who doesn't repay evil for evil, but instead overcomes evil with good. A person who turns the other cheek. That's how we're going to shine like stars as we hold out the word of life, as Paul says in chapter 2. Genuine joy in the Lord, it's outwardly focused. Our lives reflect that joy outward to others. Evident to all. And Paul's challenging the Philippians in the midst of their own hard circumstances to reject worry and reflect joy to a world that's watching. He's already encouraged them along these same lines. He told them in chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, don't look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. So letting your gentleness be evident to all, it's just a practical outworking of these same ideas, living out this example of Christ. And the very next statement reinforces that, looking to Christ as our model, letting our joy be outwardly focused, because, he says, the Lord is near. He encourages them with the truth that Jesus will return soon. Why is that an encouragement? Because we want to be found ready for him. We want to live in a way that expects the Lord to return at any moment all over the new testament there's evidence the early church they expected that the lord would return at any time well here we are 2,000 years later we're that much closer to jesus return and we should live with expectancy and and part of that means we're we're ready our own hearts and attitudes we're ready to come face to face with christ not worried about what he's going to say or do or think about the way we're living Uh, I shared with you the story of the song, It's Well With My Soul. And there's some less familiar verses of that song that echo what Paul's talking about right here. We wait for the Lord with anticipation, living with expectancy. This is how Horatio Spafford says it. Uh, But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. Oh, trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. Another verse says this, Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so, it is well with my soul. So if we want to choose joy to avoid anxiety, one way to do that is letting our gentleness be evident to all. Because the Lord is near. We live with gentleness and we live with urgency. That's how we find peace in our lives. One person sums up this passage in this way. He says, Let joy take the place of your anxiety. In other words, choosing joy to avoid anxiety. He says, Look away from yourselves to the needs of your brothers and sisters, being willing to yield your rights and your privileges for their sake. If you do this, you will learn what true and unshakable contentment really is. So we choose joy to avoid anxiety. And the next part of the passage says this, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You choose joy to avoid anxiety. And this pathway from joy to anxiety, or anxiety to joy, I should say, it centers around prayer. And uh, I've got to be honest, this is one of these passages that sounds great, and it's really comforting, until you take a good look at it. And then you realize it's almost too simple. I mean, basically, Paul's saying here, hey, don't worry, just pray. Everything will be fine. If you're worried, then pray, and you'll have peace. Well, I mean, that's great, right? And it's true, it must be true, because it's right here in the Bible. I don't want to disagree with the Bible, you know. I'm just saying in my experience, it's not quite such a straight line from worry to prayer to peace. It's a little more challenging than that for me, and I'm guessing that's true for you too. You're know, you worried about something, so you pray about it, and then you feel a little better, but then the next day or maybe the next hour, you're kind of thinking about it again. You're worried about it again, right? I hope I'm not the only one who feels that way. Uh, Corey Tin Boom tells a story that uh, many of us maybe can relate to. She says uh, she's worried about something and she prays about it. She wants to just give this thing over to God. And so in her mind, she imagines putting it in a big chest and and closing it up, locking it up. And then she she ties strong rope around it so it won't come open. And she just wants to, to give this thing to God, this thing she's worried about. And so she imagines herself throwing it out into the deepest part of the ocean. Is just letting it sink all the way, giving it away to God. But then as she's watching it sink, right, as it drifts out of sight, she dives into the water, swims after it, and pulls it back up to the shore so she can keep worrying about it, right? But Paul here, he makes it seem so easy. If you're worried, then pray, and you'll have peace. Well, Why is that so hard for us? I think it's difficult for a couple of reasons. One is simply that we don't know how to pray very well. I mean, we're all pretty good at praying when there's like a major crisis, you know, and even people who don't really believe in God that much know how to pray when there's like nothing else you can do, you know. It's almost instinctual. We just look for help when we get to the end of our own resources. Uh, so everybody kind of knows how to pray the, the Jesus take the wheel kind of prayer, Right. Praying when you have literally nothing else that you can do. You've tried to solve the problem on your own. It didn't work out. And so now you just pray and hope for the best. I mean, and there's nothing really wrong with that kind of prayer. I'm not saying don't ever pray like that. But I'm saying that kind of prayer is not the kind of prayer that moves us from worry to prayer to peace. That kind of prayer is just a gut reaction to crisis. And so I think part of the reason we don't see such a straight line from worry to prayer to peace is that we we don't know how to pray very well, the other kind of prayer. Not just crisis prayer, but prayer that really is going to grow us in our relationship with God. Because I think it's that kind of prayer that really helps. That's the kind of prayer I think that Paul practiced regularly. So when he was faced with problems, he can say with confidence, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what's the secret to that kind of prayer? I think the answer is making that kind of prayer habitual, practicing it with such regularity that it becomes second nature to us. I heard a a speaker many years ago talking about popcorn prayer, in other words, just just constantly, throughout your day, firing up short prayers, like little pieces of popcorn popping around. And that's kind of a helpful way to think, which is making prayer a constant part of your life. But, but prayer, ultimately, it's a discipline, and that means it takes some intentionality, it takes some work, it takes some strategy. And, and a popcorn prayer can be a part of that strategy for sure, but, but I want to share just a couple of tools that I hope will, will make prayer more of a discipline for each of us. Uh, A couple of years ago, our our growth group leaders and our ABF leaders, we read a fantastic book together. Uh, The book is called A Praying Life by Paul Miller, and uh, just a really helpful book. I'd recommend it to you. Um, The book has a lot of things to talk about prayer, and you know anybody who writes a book about prayer, they've been through some things that really needed some prayer, right? And that's true for this guy. So it comes from a really a healthy, really honest place. And, and it's a great read. But but one of the most helpful things in the book is, is towards the end of the book, he talks about just a strategy for prayer, making prayer a habit. And I just want to share uh, some of that with you. It's super simple, easy to recreate strategy. So let me just share the basics of it. Uh, it's, it's a system built around note cards, like little three by five or whatever index cards, right? And you basically just create an index card for each person or each thing that you're praying about. So you might have one color of index cards that's all your family members or something like that, one category. and uh, Each person in the family gets their own card, so you can write their name on the card and then just write down things that you're praying about for that person or, or maybe scripture passages related to what you're praying about, you know, whatever you want to write on that card. And so it's just super simple method, super easy to use, and each day you just grab your stack of cards and you just pray through those cards, you know, or you could just pick one category at a time. So you just Pray just for your family or, or or whatever. So so if you're a person whose prayer life is less of a discipline and more of a Jesus take the wheel, then let me encourage you to just buy some index cards and get started on this method. It's super easy to use. And you could customize it however works for you. Uh, super easy. Uh, and I want to recommend one other method uh, to help make prayer more of a discipline for you. If you're like me, uh, you always have your phone in your pocket or in your purse or whatever, right? Um, don't judge me. I know you do too. Uh, except actually right now, I don't have it with me right now because the church I was at before, the guys used to prank each other when somebody was speaking or teaching. They would just call them just to distract them. So my phone's over there right now. But, but otherwise, it's always with me, all right? And uh, so I just want to share an app that I use an app that you can use I mean there's an app for everything it's an app to help you organize your prayer life and it's super uh, easy to use it's called prayer mate and it looks like that in the the app store or the whatever they call the google android store where you buy apps I don't know I have an iphone so but it's a free app doesn't cost you a dime and it's super easy to set up it's basically just a a digital version of index cards that's that's how it is but it's always with you you don't have to worry about oh man i left my index cards at home whatever it's always right there on your phone and so it takes a little bit to set up but once you set it up it's super easy to use easy to modify and so uh you know it's not a commercial i don't get any money for it or anything i'm just telling you as a person who's who's used it and benefited from it it's i'd recommend it to you in fact You've benefited from it because I've used it to pray for for each of us. And so if you're more of a digital person than a paper person, then there you go. PrayerMate is is an app that you can use. And and in any case, whatever system you use, if you want to see a straight line from worry to prayer to peace, then you need to be praying in a way that's not just prayers in crisis mode. We need to be praying as a discipline, as an ongoing work, as a way to really grow our relationship with God. I I love this quote from Oswald Sanders. He talks about the work of prayer, and he says that there's nothing thrilling about a person's work, but it's the working person who makes the ideas of the genius possible. When you work at prayer from God's perspective, there's always results. And he goes on to say that the most important work in prayer is not so much what God does in answering the prayers, but it's what God does in the person who's doing the praying. He says, prayer doesn't equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. So much of our prayer life is is what God wants to do in our lives, uh, helping us draw that straight line from worry to prayer to peace. Uh, The line's not going to be drawn if we just see God answer our prayers right away. God doesn't work that way. The line is drawn when we see our own hearts changed. Instead of putting our attention on just the results of prayer, We put our attention on God himself. We find peace not just in the results, but peace in in communing with God. So we pray as a discipline. Uh, But there's another key, I think, that helps us move from worry to prayer to peace. And and many years ago, I heard Tim Keller, who's a well-known pastor from uh, New York City, I heard him preach a sermon on this very same passage. And it was a really good sermon, very helpful. Uh, So helpful, in fact, I thought about just preaching it to you this morning, but but I didn't do that. But he, he talked about the same passage here in Philippians, and what he talked about has, has stuck with me for, for a long time now, and so I just want to share that part with you. He talked about this similar kind of idea that when you start with anxiety, it's really hard to get to a place of peace, but he highlighted uh, one particular aspect of prayer that I think holds the key to that. Uh, Paul says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and, and for Tim Keller, the key idea there is thanksgiving, praying with thanksgiving. He called it the discipline of thanking uh, paul says to to pray and to make your requests with thanksgiving, so you don 't wait until the prayer is answered to thank God you, you pray with thanksgiving just Thanking Him that He even hears your prayers. Thanking Him that He's even able to do something about it before you know what He's going to do. Thank Him that He loves you and wants to care for you. The discipline of thanking means we're turning our hearts to God, not just because of what He can do for us, but just because of who He is. Uh, He's capable and He's loving, even when we don't understand what He's doing in our lives. The discipline of thanking. That's part of the secret To effective prayer. When we pray, it's not God who's changed. It's us. We're changed. We grow closer to God. We start to understand him more and more, and then we can genuinely be be thankful no matter what the end result of our prayer is. So practicing thankfulness as a discipline and practicing prayer as a discipline, these are keys to moving from worry to prayer to peace. Tim Keller talked about another discipline related to this passage. He called it the discipline of thinking. So thanking and thinking. And for that, he he takes us to this next verse, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so when we're worried... We pray, and if we're super disciplined and mature, then we have peace. But usually when we're worried and we pray, then we start thinking about our problems again, right? And we stay worried. Well, it would seem that, okay, maybe then the path to peace is just to not think about things anymore, right? If we don't think about it, then everything will be fine. Well, that may or may not be true, but that's the opposite of what Paul tells us right here. He says, think, and he tells us what to think about. It's the discipline of thinking. And the items on this list, you know, they're not just lofty ideas. This is not like the self-help section of the bookstore where you go and, and you have positive thoughts and happy thoughts and all your problems are going to disappear. That's not really what this list is of things to think about. The, the world's going to say, hey, if you're worried, then just empty your mind. Or if you can't do that, then you at least think about positive things, right? But Paul says if you want to move from worry to prayer to peace— you have to think, think about significant things. It's the discipline of thinking, thinking deeply about who God is and thinking about Christ because this list is not just a list of, of happy, empty ideas. It's a list that really points right to the heart of God because he alone is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. Everything else falls short of that. That's how you find peace that guards your heart and your mind by focusing on Christ. I mean, this whole list can really be summed up in simply thinking deeply about Christ, what he's done for you, how you don't deserve the love and the grace that he freely gives you, but he gives it to you anyway. And if that's how he's already shown love to you, then why are you worried about what's happening in the future? That's the discipline of thinking. Thinking about such things, that's how you find peace. That's what Horatio Spafford did. His song is all about how Christ saved him from sin. That's why it's well with his soul. His song is a testament to this work of finding peace in thinking about Christ. Look at the lyrics again. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, It's thinking about Christ. And just like I gave you some practical tips for prayer using index cards or using the PrayerMate app, I want to give you a practical tip for thinking, for turning your thoughts to Christ. And, And the best way I know to do that is to memorize Scripture. Scripture is, is God's own words, and so we read it over and over, we reflect on it over and over so that it soaks into our minds. Because if you spend time doing that, then you can't really spend your time thinking about all your problems and worrying. You can't really do both. And memorizing Scripture fills your mind with the things of God. It's like wax on, wax off, right? When you have crisis problems, then you, you fill your mind with all the right things. They just come to you, like muscle memory, something like that. Uh, so scripture memory is such a helpful discipline. One of the things I've challenged each of us to do throughout this series is, is read through the book of Philippians over and over because it helps take some of these meaningful passages and lock them into our minds, guarding our hearts and our minds with the peace of God that comes from thinking deeply on Him. Uh, my son Elliot and I are working together to memorize uh, this verse, Verse 8. So if he can do it, if I can do it, you can do it too. It's a great uh, verse to memorize. You know, We talk in our kids' ministry and our student ministry all the time about partnering with parents, about parents and, and the church working together to grow kids. And this is an easy way to invest in your kids' growth. Memorize a scripture passage together with them. This is a good one that you can always turn to, a passage that encourages us to just turn our hearts and our minds to Christ constantly because he's true. And he's right, he's excellent, and he's praiseworthy. So memorizing Scripture is just a great way to practice that discipline of thinking. It helps us move from worry to prayer to peace. So if we want to live with joy and not anxiety, Paul tells us how to do it. He says, pray. Not just prayers of desperation, but prayer as a discipline, prayer that gives us a chance to meet with God regularly and pray with thanksgiving, following the discipline of thanking. And finally, he tells us to think deeply, not to empty our minds, not to hide from our situation by just thinking of positive, distracting things, but the discipline of thinking, thinking deeply about God and about Christ and what he's done for us. So the very next verse serves as really the perfect conclusion to this message, the perfect way to encourage us as we move from worry to prayer to peace, as we choose joy to avoid anxiety. Verse 9, Paul says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. The things we've talked about, put them into practice. And what's the result? The God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. As we pray, I just want to give us a moment to do some self-reflection. Just take a moment to really reflect on your own prayer life. Uh, Where are you strong? And celebrate that. And where can you be better? And think about that. Can you draw that line from worry to prayer to peace? And if not, where is the barrier for you? As you reflect on these things, think about how to put something into practice, how to overcome these barriers with some healthy disciplines. Uh, What's one step we can take, maybe even this week, to make things uh, better, make things more of a discipline for us? Just spend a little bit of time thinking about that, talking to God about these things, and then we'll pray together. God, our desire is to be with you, to serve you and, and love you and grow in our relationship with you, Lord. We, we don't lack desire, but what we lack is uh, discipline. What we lack is uh, uh, focus on you, Lord, in the midst of so many distractions. And, and we want to be uh, people who are growing in our relationship with you, who can say it is well with our soul because. We have such a great relationship with you, and I pray that you would give us the disciplines that we need, give us the tools that we need to be able to stay focused on you in our prayer lives, to stay focused on you in the way we live out gentleness in the world, and I pray that you would uh, encourage us, even this week, as we uh, strengthen our habits, that we would be uh, serving you and, and showing love for you, God.